I believe today I probably have the most bizarre story that I've ever told here. You know, it's hard for many of us to celebrate Christmas once a year because there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of time, a lot of food that has to be prepared. There are a lot of relatives who we don't want to see but we have to see at this time of the year. But imagine celebrating Christmas every single day. Believe it or not, there is a man in the UK, his name is Andy Park, his nickname is Mr. Christmas. He is famous for celebrating Christmas every single day of the year. Every single day of the year, Andy celebrates Christmas. His daily routine goes like this. He had a situation in the early 90s where he had a really, really bad year and it led to a serious depression. And Andy decided that the Christmas spirit brings out a lot of joy in people's lives. And he realized, why would I want to live with my problems when I can have the joy of Christmas every single day? So since the early 90s, except from a, for a brief period in 2015 where his family tried to convince him to stop, he did it for a couple of weeks and then went back. But every day since the 90s, Andy has celebrated Christmas every single day. His house is always decorated with, with uh, tinsel. He's always got a Christmas tree up. He mails himself every single day a Christmas card. He buys for himself every single day a Christmas present. He's an electrician, so he goes to work in the morning and then he comes back. And check this out. Over the course of since the early 90s, he has devoured over 8,000 Christmas turkeys. Andy has eaten over 100,000 mince pies and over 50,000 potatoes. He has drunk over 7,000 glasses of sherry. Be careful trying to replicate that. He has spent over a million pounds, now this is pounds, not dollars, on Christmas gifts for himself to the point of nearly, to the point of nearly becoming bankrupt and losing his house. He's got a Mercedes-Benz with a license plate that says Mr. Xmas. He has sent himself over 235,000 Christmas cards. And none of you have given me one. <laughs> if you haven't, I have forgotten it, I'm sorry. But Andy today is a popular TV person. He records his own Christmas songs. And if you believe that I'm making this up... You can go on his website, www.mrchristmas.uk. He's even been on an episode of Ripley's Believe It or Not for celebrating Christmas every single day. But as bizarre as that sounds, I think Andy has got a point. Because if there is a reason for any person or any group of people in the world to want to celebrate Christmas every day, it should be us, shouldn't it? For there is always a reason to rejoice about the birth of Jesus. The 25th of December should not be the only day of the year that we are rejoicing about the birth of Jesus and the hope that we have. And I think it's important this Christmas, as we're talking about everlasting joy and the gift of everlasting joy, that we notice that Christmas is a season we ought to be celebrating every single day of our lives. Christmas and Easter are things that we can celebrate every single day, not just once a year. And the great thing about the topic we're talking about today is we're not talking about joy, a temporal state of happiness that is a response to circumstances in our life. We are talking about everlasting joy, 
the type of joy that is not temporal, the type of joy that is not responsive to the situations in our life, but a type of joy that we experience all of our lives, in season and out of festive season. For as Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He also said, so with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy away. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and listens for him and is overjoyed to hear the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and that joy is complete. See, I have good news and bad news for you today. There are a lot of things that are going to give you joy. Some of you are celebrating the birth of a child. And that's good news. That's a reason to have joy. But I've got some bad news for you. That child is one day going to become a teenager. And if you want to mess with your teenagers this Christmas, what you do is you go out and you buy for yourself one of those brand new iPhones. But you take the iPhone out of the box. And inside the box, you place one of those old brick Nokia phones. You close the box, you wrap up the present, and you put it under the Christmas tree. And when they open the box, you say, Merry Christmas, remember that mummy and daddy loves you. And then you pull out your brand new phone. Maybe you're celebrating because... Your children have finally left the nest, and that's a reason for joy this year. But I've got bad news for you. Statistics say that most children return. (laughs) So you will not be seeing them just at Christmas time. But the joy we are talking about is joy that is not taken away easily. It's not responsive to situations in our life. For David sung, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Likewise, the brother of Jesus declared, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's why the angels declared to the shepherd, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Great joy for all people. And Peter wrote that the completion of this joy came in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's the hope that fills every single one of us, not just at Christmas, but right throughout the year. Though we have not seen him, we have an inexpressible, glorious joy inside all of us. You can say amen to that. We are looking at Isaiah chapter, five, Isaiah chapter 35. And the ministry of Isaiah the prophet lasted through the kingships of four different kings. We are barely lasting through Queen Elizabeth. But he lasted through four different kings. And Isaiah spoke at a time to his people where he spent a lot of time challenging them and challenging them on their sinful life and talking about how judgment was coming upon these people. But Isaiah chapter 35 marks an interesting episode. Isaiah 40 40 is where the shift comes and he starts to talk about the future hope that yes, judgment will come, but God is still going to bless his people and restore his people. But Isaiah chapter 35 marks an interesting point. And the best way I can explain it to you is like this. It's a speech or a sermon that Isaiah is giving to his people. 
and he's talking about everlasting joy. But the best way for him to talk about everlasting joy is to use all of these rich symbols and these rich metaphors. If you've ever listened to Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, you'll notice he does the same thing. He speaks prophetically. He refers to events, people, incidences, scripture, all of those things he packs in together to take his speech across to his people. Isaiah is doing the same thing. He is speaking through rich metaphor, rich symbolism, to communicate this point of everlasting joy to his people. And Isaiah is one of the most powerful books in the Old Testament. Some people call it the fifth gospel because it talks so much about this great messianic figure, this great Messiah, this great anointed one who will come and who will lead God's people in a new creation and a new world, one in which they can have everlasting joy. And I want to point out a couple of things from Isaiah's message to us today, a message that will help us understand why we can have everlasting joy. The first thing is this, we can have everlasting joy because we know our world will be renewed. It's very hard at this time of the year for us to have everlasting joy when we look at the state of our nation, when we look at the terrible bushfires which have claimed the lives and the homes of so many people, when we look at the droughts and what is happening to our farmers, the way that our land is so ravaged with lack of water and lack of supply that many of our farmers are now resorting to shooting their cattle in themselves because they just can't take it anymore. It's hard this season for us to look at world events and not have this everlasting joy. But the truth that Isaiah speaks about, the truth that Isaiah promises is that there will come a time where God will restore everything. He won't just restore our lives and our relationship with Him. He's going to restore the whole of creation. He's going to restore our entire world and our entire planet and bring everything back into reconciliation with Him. That is a great message because, you see, the world can speak about joy and happiness over the silly season, but the world cannot restore itself and give hope and joy to itself. But God promises that He will bring restoration. He will bring hope. He will bring joy to our entire planet. Notice what He says to Isaiah. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Not only will us as humans bring glory and joy to God, but even his creation will sing his pleasures. That's why Jesus, when the, when the religious teachers were telling his disciples to be quiet and stop bringing glory and joy to him, Jesus said, if they don't do it, even the stones will do it. Our God is going to restore our creation and bring glory and joy to a new world. And what a beautiful picture, he says, the glory of Lebanon, it will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, it will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Lebanon, we look at the political situation in Lebanon and we lament this Christmas at the heartache and the tragedy that is becoming to its people and even people around the world, like in Chile. Yet God speaks of a day when the great, beautiful, mountainous trees of Lebanon will actually be spread across the world 
And people looked at the nation of Lebanon in those days and its beauty and thought, wow, isn't this amazing? Look at how beautiful this land is. And God promises them that they will be like that. The glory of Carmel, the beautiful mountainous regions of Israel, God says, I will restore and I will make them joyous. And Sharon was this beautiful valley filled with roses, like our tall poppies. It was a beautiful place filled with roses, and God says these beautiful and majestic colors, I will make your land and your community like that. That is a message for joy this year. And I look upon our world, and all the climate change activists cannot do what God will do in a twinkling of an eye when He restores our creation. That is the source of our everlasting joy this year at Christmas. But we can have everlasting joy because we know that God is going to also strengthen our hands. Our hands will be strong this year at Christmas time. Our hands will be strong next year in 2020. For Isaiah next goes on to say, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your Lord cometh, is what Isaiah says to his people. You can have joy this year because your weak hands will be strengthened by the Lord Jesus. What Isaiah said of the Lord that he will come, the New Testament scriptures declare that he has come in the person of Jesus. Strengthen your hands this year. In the Old Testament, hands were a symbol of strength. You think about a people group who didn't rely on the great cranes and the great modern technology that we have today to build pyramids and cities. They relied on their hands and the power of their muscles, their strong knees. And God is saying to this people, reliant on their hands for their very survival, not reliant on equipments. He says, your hands can be strong this year. And I believe in my heart God is giving us the same message this year for Christmas. Strengthen your hands. Your hands will be strong this year. Your hands will be strong in 2020. What did God say to his people? The Lord Almighty says, now hear these words, let your hands be strong that my temple may be built. We in the church today are still building the temple found in Jesus Christ. And our hands in 2020, as we begin a new chapter in our lives, as we begin a new chapter in our church, as we begin a new decade, our hands will be strong. Maybe in 2030, our pictures will be on Time magazine as the most influential people in the world because of the way that we as a diverse church are building a strong community through the power of God's Spirit, which is strengthening our hands. We will be strong next year as a church. We will work harder than ever as a church and God is going to strengthen our hands and that is a source of great and everlasting joy for us. That our work is building a strong kingdom of people leading many to Jesus Christ. But do I have your permission to be a little bit controversial here today? Sure. Sure. Which means if I say what I'm about to say next and you get offended, you have given me permission to say it. <laughs> For some of us, before God gives us strong hands, he's going to have to give us a strong backbone because we've been letting other people in the church do the heavy lifting. For some of us, 
God is going to give us strong hands next year. But he wants our hands to go over our mouths because we say things that we ought not to say to people. For some people, God is going to give us strong hands next year, but he wants those hands to cover our eyes because we've been looking at things that we shouldn't have been looking at online. For some of us, God is going to give us strong hands next year, but what he's going to do is he's going to strap on one of those brand new Omega wristwatches, you know, one of the ones that are going to be in the James Bond film next year. That way we will stop being late to church and missing out on worship. But in all seriousness, if you know me, I'm a person who arrives late everywhere, even to work. But if my NFL team is playing the Green Bay Packers, I am never late. So what does it say about me if I can be on time to watch a football match, but I can't be on time to worship in the sanctuary of the Lord? Priorities. If I want to come and I want to rejoice, just like the angels rejoiced, do you think that when God was sending out his angels to the shepherds, that the angels were sitting around watching pro football and thinking, we're going to show up late? No, no, they showed up on time to worship the Lord. And that's a challenge for all of us as well, even in this church. 2020, our hands will be strong and God is going to help those hands, same strong hands, to build a new life for so many of you who have experienced depression and heartache this year. Your family hasn't been able to move forward, but God is going to give you the strength in those powerful hands of yours to rebuild what was destroyed. As Jesus said to Peter, Satan wishes to have you set apart, but I have prayed that you will be strong. That is our calling, our hands will be strong as Nehemiah said to his people, and I give us the same message this year at Christmas time, as we go forth and we eat our great food. Listen to what Isaiah said, what Nehemiah said. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This year at Christmas time, if you feel that those hands and those knees are a bit weak, the joy of the Lord, I pray, will be your strength. The final thing I want to say to everyone today is that we needn't have fear, but we can have everlasting joy because this Christmas, no predator will ever devour us. Listen to what Isaiah says. In the haunts where jackals once lay, Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. And I hope in your mind you're processing and you realize that Jesus is that highway. Jesus is that highway. And listen to what Isaiah says, no lion will be there nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will work there, will walk there. Are you one of the redeemed? If you are, you can say amen to that. They will be the ones who walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. There is no irony about the fact that Jesus' very name means the Lord saves. And 
the angels and God didn't give Mary and Joseph a choice on how to name their child Jesus. They said his name will be Jesus and this is what you have. If you want to give our church the right to name your firstborn, we would greatly receive it. We will call them Parkside. Jesus has saved his people this Christmas. He has saved us. We are the redeemed who will walk on that highway. We will see the Lord's glory in person. But jackals and lions were symbols of predators in the ancient world. You remember the story from Judges when Samson is going to a Philistine village and he comes across a lion. You see, lions were predators. They're not as synonymous with the Middle East today, but in that parts of Africa, yes, definitely. Jackals and lions were predators. They devoured people on their way as they went about their business. You imagine yourself in a small village community like Nazareth where Jesus was from. A lion shows up to your front door. You are terrified. But the promise is that no lion and jackal, no predator, no circumstance will ever devour you and I. Last Friday, I got back from church after young adults, and I was in a joyful mood. I was like, one more week to go, and then you can have a break. I was in a joyful mood, and I got into my house, and I opened up that garage door ready to take off my shoes, and what did I see on the wall? A predator. There was one of them hunchman spiders sitting on the wall. One of those big brown hunchman spiders. Merry Christmas, Jason from Santa Claus. It said to me, and it was crawling up and down, and I realized I have about a one-minute dash to get the bag on quickly, and that spider is running up and down, and we have a lot of boxes against the wall. You know, a lot of boxes filled with Christmas presents we never wanted before. And it's there, and the spider's running up and down, and I'm about to lose sight of it, and suddenly the joy of the Lord filled me and said, Jason, this is your territory. And I looked at that spider, I looked at that predator, and I said, you about to get done up, boy. <laughs> you came into my house now. And I got that bag on, and I gave it a good shake, and I was spraying it, and I was drowning it. And then it was like, ring, it was like moving around, trying to fall with its feet, sort of rushing up and down. And then all of a sudden, I thought, it's time for this predator to be done for good. So I went and I got one of them shoes off the shelf, and it was my shoe. And I'm like, I don't want none of that spider gunk on my shoes. So I put my shoe back and I got one of my mom's shoes, you see. <laughs> and I said, this spider is down. And I gave the spider a whack. No predator will ever devour us again. Notice the Bible doesn't say that we will not get attacked. But it will says we will not get devoured. Remember Peter's words when he says, Satan is like a lion seeking whom it can devour. The truth is, is that circumstances in life, predators in life, will still attack us and still try to get a hold in our lives. Depression, pornography, alcohol, abuse, those things will still attempt to attack us. But because of the Lord Jesus, we will not be devoured. We will not be devoured. We will stand strong, stronger than ever. Because of the Lord Jesus. That is the source of our everlasting joy. When Jesus came, he did the very same things that Isaiah says in this prophecy. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. 
That is what will happen to us. That will be our shout and our cry that God will restore and redeem us and give us that great hope. We can do this. No predator will devour us, no matter what your predator is. And maybe for some of you, your predator, particularly teenagers, is not an animal, but it is a computer screen or a device. And some of the parents are now saying, come on, keep going, keep going. Get them off that predator. The truth is, is I still lament today that there was a time our nation sent out 16-year-old boys to fight for the values of this country. Today, we can't send out 16-year-old boys to take out the garbage. They'd rather spend too much time on Pokemon Go. And when you challenge them on their playing and their devices, you say to them, why don't you have hope? Well, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? They say, no, but I have my Netflix. Do you have hope and joy this year? And so many people say, no, but I have a great car. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus that brings everlasting joy to you? They say to you, no, but I have a great job. Do you have everlasting joy in Jesus and a personal relationship with God? No, but I have a great partner or I'm going on a great holiday or my bank account is full this year. None of those things will actually last. As Jesus said to that wicked servant, even if you pack your barns, today what you have will be taken from you. Only a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus can bring you true and everlasting hope. True and everlasting joy. That is the gift of Christmas. But I just want to close with this story. Isaiah doesn't finish there. He says they will enter Zion, which is just another word for Jerusalem. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and sorrow will overtake them. And so, sorry, gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And what does Isaiah say beautifully? They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Vincent van Gogh, today one of the most famous painters that there has ever been, was insane in his own time. He had very serious, undiagnosed mental illness. Painted over 2,000 paintings and sold only one of them lived in poverty, cut off his own ear. And some people have speculated, what was the reason for cutting off his own ear? Did his friend do it with a sword when he got into a fight one day? Or did Van Gogh, just in his insanity, cut off his own ear and then eventually commit suicide in that field? But the truth is, is that yes, he did have serious mental illnesses, illness, but perhaps he also saw the world in a way that none of us see the world today. For what has actually been discovered about Vincent van Gogh was that he had another reason why he actually cut off his ear to the point that only the lobe was left. You see, there was a lady who worked in a nearby brothel. Her name was Rachel. That was just her nickname. She, didn't, she wasn't a prostitute inside the brothel. She was a cleaner inside the brothel. And Rachel had a very sad incident. She was attacked by a ravenous dog. And the only way for the doctors to save her was to take hot iron and to actually burn back her flesh together. So she had serious deformities and she had an ear that was missing. So what Van Gogh did was he knew he didn't have the money to fix 
Rachel's situation, he cut off his own ear and packaged it and sent it off to her and said, now I am like you. Now I am deformed like you. Very few people will give up their own great situations, their own self-preservation for the sake of others. But as I reflect on Van Gogh's story, I reflect on the message of Christmas because Jesus cut off his ear, so to speak, in order to be deformed just like us, didn't he? He gave up the perfection of heaven, complete holiness, perfection unified with God. He came down and he took the stripes. He took the beating. He allowed his own body to be deformed just so at the cross he could look at each and every one of us and say, I am like you now. I am deformed just like you. I am messed up just like you. The sin of you is now placed upon me. And I now will clothe my holiness and my perfection onto you. That's why the message of Christmas was so powerful. That's why the glory of Jesus had to be sung about because the angels on high knew that Jesus was going to soon be deformed, just like us. We are like that Rachel working in that brothel with deformity. And Jesus has come in, not with insanity, but with total clarity. He has come in and he says, I'm going to give you everlasting joy. But the way you're going to see my glory is not through me standing up there and you all bowing to me. The way you're going to see my glory is you're going to see my glory most personified at the cross, where my face becomes deformed. You see, it doesn't matter whether the baby's in a manger. It doesn't matter whether the baby is hanging at that cross with stripes and bruises and blood pouring from his face, or it's the glorious face of the resurrected Jesus. The glory of Jesus is still complete and still perfect. And I want to say to you this Christmas, you might be thinking to yourself, Jason, what you say I agree with, but I just do not have joy in this situation. I just do not have joy in this time in my life. But Isaiah says... I will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown my heads. Gladness and sorrow, gladness and joy will overtake me. Jason, I don't feel gladness and joy overtaking me this Christmas. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like everlasting joy. Can I say this to you? At the cross, no one was singing. There was no everlasting joy at the cross. There was nobody marching in, singing, their sorrows fleeing away from them. There was no joy on Friday, but Sunday was a different situation, wasn't it? You see, when they came to Jesus and they mocked him at the cross, the Bible says he doesn't respond, but the Bible says he responds with, with a bit of an ironic tone because Jesus did respond. He did give a response to the people mocking him. His response was, you wait till Sunday. You wait till Sunday. This Christmas, if you don't have everlasting joy, if you don't have everlasting hope, everlasting peace, I'm going to say to you, you don't have it now, but you wait till Sunday. You will have it when the resurrected Jesus comes into your life and gives you hope. When he walks out of that cross and he says that this is me, I am complete. Your everlasting joy is complete. You wait until Sunday. Father, I thank you so much, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, that we have everlasting joy, Lord, in you and in you alone, Lord Jesus. But I pray, Father, that that same everlasting joy, which you made complete in your Son, Jesus, Lord, will be passed on to each and every one of us, Lord Jesus. Father, give us joy. 
Lord. Give us hope and give us peace, Lord. The very same things that you wanted us to have when you came down that Christmas day, Lord. We know you came down at Christmas, Lord. Father, I pray this year that you will come down into the lives of any person in this church who doesn't know you, Lord, or any person in this church maybe who has backslid, Lord. I pray especially, Father, that this Christmas we as a community will sing great sounds of joy that will reach the heavens, Lord, this year when we sing those carols, Lord. And I pray for any brother or sister in this room, Lord, who are struggling, Lord. You know their situation, Lord. Fill their heart with joy, Lord. A joy that makes the world see, wow, look at how great this God is, Father. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.